0: How are we this morning? Good. You guys are you guys are so much more lively than our 9:30 crew. I said, How are you guys doing this morning? And I I heard crickets. It was crickets. Um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go to Galatians chapter 4. Um, we we were kind of walking through the book of Galatians together week by week, verse by verse. And then uh, we had Palm Sunday, and we talked about Holy Week. And then uh, we had Easter Sunday, where we talked about being victorious in the life that Christ has given through the power of His death and His resurrection. And then last week, we uh, just took a Sunday to cast vision to talk about the future, what it looks like at our church to accommodate the space um, for all the visitors that come on Sunday morning and members. So, Uh, It's been an exciting few weeks, but today I want to dive back into the book together. So if you're in Galatians 4, I'm going to read and then I'll pray together and we'll get into the text. Verse 1, Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. If you're tracking this morning, I want you to kind of file that word away in the back of your mind somewhere. Adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want you to hear something else real quick. In the original language, the word Abba, a lot of times when you... When you hear Abba or a preacher preaching on Abba, the, what, the Aramaic term for daddy or father, a lot of times that word uh, kind of sits as a baby term. Sometimes it kind of feels uh, babbleish, Abba. But this word here used where it says that we have an Abba, our Abba father, is the same word that Jesus used in the garden when he was in excruciating pain and said, Father, if it would be your will, let this cup pass from me. So this term here isn't a term that we're using like an infant just babbling to its father. This term is an affectionate term from a son or a daughter to their father. It's an intentional affectionate term. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And notice that reading your Bible, when it says, formerly when you did not know God, that God is a big G, all right? It says, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, and that gods is little g. All right, I want you to just hold that for a while. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons of year. I am afraid I, have may, I may have labored over you in vain. This is a, a heavy text from... The Apostle to the Church in Galatia, and we, we, I'm going to pray in a minute, but remember we said, kind of setting up, if you haven't been with us through Galatians, Galatians is a book that was written to the church or churches in the region of Galatia where this group of guys called the Judaizers had swept in and began to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a group of guys that came in and said, hey, listen, the, the cross and Jesus and all this redemption and atonement stuff, it's all, that's pretty good. But you also, we need to add back circumcision. We need to add back the customary and the ceremonial laws. We need to go back to the Mosaic law. And so Paul, through this whole letter, is writing a defense for the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ, which literally is, Jesus is enough. Amen? We don't add anything else to Jesus. It's not Jesus plus our church attendance makes God like us. It's not Jesus plus our tithe makes God like us. Jesus plus our whatever. It's Jesus alone. Amen? All right. So now that we've covered that, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we are grateful that you would bless us with a time in your word, a time that we together as a faith family can look at your your word to us, your self-revelation to us, God, we could unpack the riches of who you are in the pages of a book. God, this just isn't any book. This is your breath on a page. So God, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. God, don't let us miss a thing this morning. We want to be captivated by You. We want to hear from You, God. We want to be led by Your Spirit because what we confess and believe is if You do not move, if You do not speak, then we all have wasted our time. We need Your voice. We need to hear Your word from the text. In Jesus' name. And everybody together as a faith family said, Amen. All right, the first thing, there's really three things that I want to walk through the passage together. I want us to look at together in the passage. And the very first thing is adoption. We said it earlier in verse five to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right, I'm going to talk about adoption, I'm going to talk about idol worship, loving lesser loves. And I'm going to talk about what it means to be known by God, okay? Um, My wife and I are in the process right now. This is a really cool situation as we read through the Bible. We're in the process of compiling all of our stuff and launching our adoption. We are going to adopt from, in 2008, God gave me a heart for the country of Nepal, and Nepal is closed to international adoptions, but they have an open border with India. And so Taylor and I, our focus, our heartbeat right now is the Aria people of India. And that's kind of our, our focus. And we are walking through the process, compiling our home study, getting all this information together to go and to adopt. And that's going to be the pursuit of our lives. And, and, and we're going to bring in children, um, boys and girls that would otherwise not have a home and a family and never hear the gospel. So in, as we think about adoption, one of the first things that has to happen, I'm going to share our story with you this morning, kind of connected to as a picture of what happened with us in Christ. See, the first thing in the story of an adoption, the first thing that has to happen is that the adopter, the person who desires to go and adopt a child, has to be validated. You have to be vetted. So uh, an adoption organization, this is what happens. An adoption organization will come into your home, come into your family, and they'll start asking you all kinds of questions. They'll examine every room of your house, every electrical outlet. They'll ask for all of your financial information, every single bit of it. They get, I mean, they, they, they know the flavor of your Kool-Aid. You know what I'm saying? Like they are all up in your life. So they, they, they know Your finances, and they know where you live, and they know how much money you make, and they know your family history. All right? They begin to unpack your family history and what that looks like, and your relationship with your parents, and they have to validate that you're a suitable father and a suitable mother for a child. So, as we turn to the scripture, the Bible says that God has adopted us. That in Christ, God has adopted you and me. He he has brought us from death to life as strangers and foreigners and nobodies. And he's made us sons and daughters. But the question we have to ask this morning is, is he validated? Can we vet God this morning? Well, how do we do that? We go to the Bible, right? The Bible is God's self-revelation. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is his character, his personality. And everything that we want to know about God is wrapped up in this book. So this is God vetting himself. He says in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock He calls himself the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he, Titus 1:2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Okay, so I want to show you how God is vetting himself in the scripture, how God is establishing himself as the greatest father of all time. He says, you want to know what love is? Look at me. God is love. That's what he's saying in the scriptures. Well, Can God really redeem all of mankind? Can God really bring lost men and women to himself? He is the very essence of love. The very essence of love. The very essence of truthfulness. He's never failed. He's never poured out his anger on you in an unholy way. Way. He is a perfect father and he's vetting himself as a father. The, the other thing that we talked about is where they look at your house and, and based on your house, the adoption agency will come in and say, Well, you know, you, you got to change this, you got to change this, you got to put a lock on this door, and you got to put a fence around the pond or pool or whatever you do. There's all these regulations to make sure your house, and you say, Well, teacher, okay, now we've established that God is a good father, but does God have a place for me? Like in his kingdom, in his, in his family, does God have a place for me? And I love what the Bible says in John 14, 1-3. He said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And one day I will come again and I will receive you unto myself, so that where I am you may be also. So not only has he established himself as the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, who has an infinite supply of love, an infinite supply of mercy, an infinite supply of grace and truthfulness. Not only that, but then he said, hey, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you, not just for immediate redemption, not just for today for you to live in joy and peace, but for all of your eternity is secure in the blessedness of Christ Jesus. I'm preparing a place for you. And one day I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. And listen, whether we kick the bucket and go by the grave or by the resurrection when Christ Jesus comes to redeem all mankind, we're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. Preparing a place for us as a good father. The, the, the third question, and, and, and there's a million questions these are the three really that sift to the surface is, OK, are, are you going to be loving parents? Are you, are you going to be faithful to this, these children? Are you going to put them above yourself? Number two, or do you have a place for them? Do you have a home? Do you have a place? Number three, will you pay the price? An international adoption can be anywhere from $30,000 to $40,000. So th- there's literally a price to be paid to redeem a child that in the moment is unloved or un- seemingly unwanted. We want them, right? And we know that. But that's the last question they're going to ask. All right, we want to see your checkbook. Do you, how will you pay the cost? See, we, when we flip those to our relationship with Christ, God established himself as the creator of the universe, the one and only good father who could heal our wounds and redeem us from the darkness of our sin. He established himself as a God who went is before us in eternity, preparing a place for us, but he also was willing to pay the price. See, because scripture said that the wage of sin is, anybody remember? Death. So there's a price on our head. And we were slaves to sin, but in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. So not only is God loving and faithful and good, not only is he preparing a place for us, but he was willing to pay the price to offer up the ransom for your soul and for my soul so that you and I could have fellowship with him so that he could call you and I sons and daughters, no longer slaves to our sin, but sons and daughters. Sons and daughters forever. In the process after you're vetted as a, as a parent, and we've had a God this morning, Right? Then you start searching. See, so they, they go through all this kind of rigmarole, all these hoops you jump through, and, and finally they say, okay, listen, you, you can't adopt. We approve you to be a part of our program. You start getting these referrals, what they call referrals. And in these referrals, you see these limited stories and picture after picture after picture after picture of little boys and little girls who don't have a home and don't have a mom and dad with them to love them. You see, picture after picture after picture, and something happens in your heart. And b- before that kid knows you, before that kid even knows that you're searching for him, you start to love him. And the Bible says in 1 John four eighteen and 19, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has been not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. See, in the same way, when you and I were living our own lives and doing our own things and throwing our sin in the face of God and living in rebellion and dishonesty and darkness, He loved us. We didn't even know He was searching for us. We didn't even know that His love was never-ending. We had no idea that the God of the universe, when we were living in the middle of our rebellion, was already loving us. And the reason that we love him today is because he first, before our parents knew our names, before we decided what we were growing to grow up and be, whatever, the God of creation loved you. But not only do you love them, and, and, and you do, I, I have no idea how to explain it, but Taylor and I, we, we pray for our kids. We don't know their name. And we don't know what province or place they're coming from. We know some are coming from India and we don't know what other countries God might lay on our heart. We have no idea, but I know this, we pray for them. We love them. We don't even know what they'll look like or what the personalities would be like. There's a love that drives us to prepare our home. There's a love in us that drives us to prepare a place and to begin the pursuit of our children. Listen, if you've never heard that before, God loves you. And, and and not just a, a passive, weak love that you've experienced on this planet that, that shifts when we shift or move when we move or based on our goodness or our action. God loves you this morning. And the only reason that we have an idea of love towards Him is because He first loved us. God loves you. And this is... One of the incredible things about adoption is you flip through these referrals, you'll read story after story, and they'll just, you'll just sit in tears at times because some of them are just in the situations and the, the home life. It's heartbreaking. But you know what's incredible? When God sifts through our files, and He sees all of our sin, He sees all of our baggage, He sees all of our problems, all of our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, our screw-ups. God sees all of it. And you know what he doesn't do ever? He never closes the folder and says, nah, that one's a little too bad. Nah, there's just a little too much baggage with that soul. Regardless of the baggage, regardless of our sin, regardless of our life before him, Christ says, I love you and I want you. This beautiful picture of what God does for us in Christ. He loves us, and then He chooses us. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. He loved us before we loved Him. He loved us, and He was searching after us. But you know what's amazing? The moment that I, we, we choose, right, we're sitting and we're looking at these files and we're going to choose to, to engage one of these referrals and go meet and, and hopefully be received by this country as the new daddy and the new mommy of this little boy, this little girl. Like in that moment, they have no idea they're loved. And they have no idea that someone has chosen them. Someone has has redeemed them. And I want you to hear this this morning. You may come this morning. You may have no idea that God has loved you your whole life. You may have no idea that God is in the process of drawing you to himself. He's chosen you. Regardless of where you've been or what you've went through, he chooses you this morning. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not only does he love you, Not only does he choose you, but he knows you. You, you, You've you've been in conversations before where somebody says, Oh man, I I love so and so. Just wait till you get to know him. Anybody been in those conversations? Oh man, I love so and so. Just wait till you get to know him. I mean, it's not right, but it's been said. Everybody said it at least once. It's been a part of that conversation. If that question was posed to God, God, you just wait till you, you get to know them, and you get to know their hurts and their, their issues and their sin. You know what God's reply is? I've always known them, and I've always loved them. You're known by God this morning. But then the coolest thing happens. So not only does God in Christ Validate himself as the, the king, the savior of the world, the redeemer, the only one who was ever killed and raised back to life. He he searches for us like the good shepherd that leaves the ninety-nine to find the one broken and weary, and he doesn't throw your sin and your issues in your face. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then something else happens. There's a, there's a change of status. See, in our relationship in life, there's, a, there's this incredible change of status. One of the greatest challenges for so many believers, though, is to re- remember and realize that we live in a new status. See, when we come to know Christ, we have a new identity, a new family, and a new future. We forget that so many times. That's what Paul's warning against. He's going to go into it, we're going to read it together in just a minute, in the 8 through 11, but like he, he's adopted you. Every single one of you in this room who has surrendered to the grace of God, you've repented of your sin. In that moment Christ redeems you, he adopts you. You're given a new name. A new family. A new future. See under under the old law, under your old heritage, it was the heritage of Adam. Because Adam blew it in the garden, right? Cuz he stumbled in sin in the garden. Sin entered into the human race. And every single one of us in this room, we cannot escape the reality that we were born in sin. But the beauty is, is when you're adopted, you're taken from a life of sin, a heritage of sin, and you're given the legacy of Christ. You're given a new future and a new name. And the relationship is secure. I want you to hear this. John 6, 39 through 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Listen, once you're adopted into the family of God, you may be sitting here saying, TJ, listen, I know... It wasn't just some pray, this prayer experience that I had. I know that I asked Christ to redeem me, and I know He converted me, but my life has kind of just been in shambles for a while. I've been chasing my own affections and my own life and my own stuff, and I've just been kind of living out this life of sin, but I know that Christ redeemed me. And, and you may be sitting here this morning, you may be walking in that war. I want you to hear this. This isn't a license to sin, but your relationship with Christ is secure. When we adopt our children one day, 3 or 30, I don't know. We don't know. We don't care. Whatever God has. Better back off the 30. He might make me live up to this statement, right? <laughs> 3 or 3? No, I'm joking. Like Their their last names are going to be changed. The papers are going to be signed. The judge is going to stamp the page. And for the rest of their life, they're going to be a Malden. And nothing that they do will ever change that. No matter how they act out or no matter what they decide to be or become in this life... They will always be our kids. Regardless of their past or their history or their baggage, and we're going to celebrate their culture and make it a part of our lives. We want to do that and bring in elements of their their native land and let them experience and see. But man, they're going to be Maldons. And nobody's ever going to change that. Listen, you are Christ's this morning, you belong to Him. He ransomed you and He changed your name. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a son of God and He's changed your last name. He signed the paper and God the judge has stamped the document. Nobody can change it. You're sons and daughters of the King. You've been made heirs and the rights and privileges that are King Jesus belongs to you. Incredible story. Uh, there's pictures taken of John F. Kennedy Jr. playing in the playing under the desk of the president, his dad. And it was the desk was a gift, and there was this little door under the, the desk, and it shows him kind of going in and out of it. And he says this, uh, he would call it his house. It was his little playhouse, and that was his secret door. Let me ask you a question. If any kid off the street wanted to, Barge into the White House and play under the president's desk. Do you think they would get a pass? And parents, listen, I know you do everything for your child, but if your child wanted to and you tried to barge the room, oh, my kid's playing there, do you think he'd make it very far? No. But John F. Kennedy Jr. got to play under the desk because of who he was. Because of his identity. He was the son of the president. He was never refused a seat at the table. There are stories of him interrupting meetings. The president just picking him up. See, this morning, we act like we're still commoners outside the gate with no entrance. So many of us have been redeemed and made new and been been made holy by the blood of the Lamb. and, And we still like we we act like those sojourners, those 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 distant far off when we don't realize that we have a seat at the table that we have unlimited access to the king of all creation that regardless of where we've been or where we're going if you've repented of your sin and asked Christ to redeem you you're a son and a daughter And it should change. The great ploy of the enemy, uh, and I want you to hear me, there is a great ploy. The enemy enemy is sneaky in his tactics. And what he would love to do in this room this morning is for those of you who have been made sons and daughters, he would like to keep you in your sin and keep you wrapped up in slave clothes. Do you hear me? See, he, he'd like to say, you're not worthy, or you're, you're worthless, or you're going to just go back to that old sin, or you, you, you're never going to be free. The enemy would love to whisper those things, and even though you're a son or a daughter, he'd love to keep you wrapped up in slave clothes. But See, he, he he's loves to do something else that's an, a problem across the church of America. He loves to dress up slaves like they're church folks. There's people who come in every Sunday that think it's because of their church attendance or because they give money or because of who they are that they have a seat at the table. Because they dress right and they sound right and they can answer all the questions but they have no relationship. It's the ploy of the enemy to think that our religion or our good works will help us into the kingdom of God. It's only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only a new identity and a new name. Paul affirms in the first seven verses that a relationship is the foundation of Christianity. A relationship with God the Father. So I want to ask you, we're going to move on. I have a couple more points. Are you a son and daughter this morning? Are you still living as a slave to your sin? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you made that relationship the priority in your life? Are you still living as a slave to sin? In verse 80, says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Little g, God, right? But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days, months, and seasons, and years. I'm afraid that I've labored for you in vain. Paul is crying out to a people group who, after they have experienced Christ... They do begin to run back to their lesser loves and lesser idols. And sometimes as believers, it's easy to buy into the lie of the lesser love or the lesser idol. You have to have it, right? You know, we, we surrender our lives to God. We repent of our sin. And in the enemy's voice, you have to have blank. You won't be yourself without Blank just one more time, it won't hurt anything, just do blank. And in an attempt to gain acceptance and joy and love and validation, we chase things that God has once freed us from. We're all guilty at times. So Paul's crying out and he's saying, why, why are you running back? Now that you've established that you're a son, now that you know you're a son and a daughter, why are you running back to the things that enslaved you in depression and darkness and sin and fear? Why? For some of us it might be food, drugs, alcohol, entertainment, unhealthy relationships, and even religion become little gods that scream to us, just, just a little more and you'll be filled up, a little more and you'll be satisfied. One more time and you'll be finally satisfied. All they really do is add more shame and more guilt, more wounds, more depression and more isolation and more space between us and God. Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog returns to his vomit, a fool returns to his folly. Sometimes we act like the dumb dog that just wants to eat his puke. I say, TJ, that's just kind of gross. And that's what our sin looks like. God's delivered us from the nastiness and the brutality of our sin, sometimes, man, we just run back to it. I'm going to leave you with this, and then we'll be done. When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and elementary principles of this world? You're known by God this morning. This is what I want to leave you with. You have a spot at the table, a position in the kingdom, a place in the family. You've been given a new name, but you have a choice to make, believer. You can willfully wrap yourself in the slave clothes all you want. You can willfully run back to the vomit. You can willfully run back to the sin that God has redeemed you from. You can wander in the desert of isolation desert of lesser loves and little idols, adding more shame and more guilt and more distance between you and God, between us and freedom. Or we can take ownership in our identity, pursue Christ, and live a life that is acceptable in obedience as sons and daughters. We have a choice, amen? Because we can, we can run back. And you know what? God's not gonna love us any less. And you know what he'll do the next time that you're at the bottom and you cry out to him? You know where he'll be? There ready to redeem and forgive, but we have a choice to make. We could today realize that we've been made sons and daughters, that our sin has been washed away, that we've been given a new name and a new identity, and we could live in the victory that is Christ Jesus. He loves you. He chose you. And you are known this morning by the God of the universe. Will you love him back? Will you choose him? Will you desire to be known in relationship with him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to look at your scripture and realize that and you are a good, good father. And Lord, even when we didn't realize it or know it, you were pursuing us. You were seeking after us to show us your love and show us your faithfulness, God. God, you're busy about redeeming your sons and daughters and you've made us sons and daughters. So this morning, God, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to live in our identity. To realize that we have a seat at the table, a place In the kingdom. That we're no longer slaves to our sin. But we're sons and daughters that are loved, chosen, and known by God. In Jesus' name. Amen.